Oh, thanks very much for the introduction. And today I'm going to talk about uh, the metagenomic approaches for pathogen detection. Um, I'm Mark Wilcox from the School of Optometry and Vision Science at UNSW. Um, I'm a medical microbiologist and have been working in the area of the microbiome for uh, over the past 20 years, uh, mostly in the area of uh, ocular disease, but also in the area of oral and dental diseases, uh, and also how the microbiome might affect diseases of medical devices. So the outline of the talk I'm going to talk to you today is um, describing the uh, human microbiome uh, and whether and how it might be associated with various diseases. I'll then talk about the various methods we can use to analyse the microbiome. That includes, of course, 16SR DNA and metagenomics and, and whether one's better than the other or, or where we might use one and where we might use the other. I'll then briefly talk about what we, what we should think about when we're designing experiments to look at the microbiome. And then turn to the hospital microbiome, the, the surfaces in hospitals. What, what are the microbiomes on these surfaces um, and have they had any association with diseases? Um, and also the hospital air microbiome. Uh, again, what is that and has it had any association with diseases? Firstly, let me give a few definitions. So the microbiome was originally de uh, defined as the combined genetic material of the microorganisms of a particular environment. So historically, the field of microbiome research emerged from environmental microbiome research in microbial ecology. But now often the word microbiome has come to mean the microorganisms in a particular environment, not just the combined genetic material. So that conflicts a little bit with what is defined as a microbiota, the microorganisms of a particular site or habitat. And this has been redefined in some areas to mean the microbiota is the living members forming the microbiome. So that means that things like bacteriophages, viruses of bacteria, viruses, plasmids, prions, viroids and free DNA are not living microorganisms. And so they do not belong to the microbiota, but do belong to the microbiome. One study has sampled 300 adults age range of 18 to 40 years and sampled five major body sites. And these include the gastrointestinal tract, uh, the oral and nasal cavities, the skin and the urogenital tract. This showed that the uh, microbiome on these various places was diverse, but always tended to be dominated by the bacteroidetes and the firmicutes making up around about 90% of the total uh, microbiome. Uh, but there was also some presence of Echinobacter and Proteobacteria in the uh, microbiomes. So the Firmicutes are things like Staphylococci and Streptococci that we know and commonly find on the skin, um, the oral cavity, for example. The, the Bacteroidetes are things like Prevotella and Porphyromonas. Uh, these tend to be gram-negative bacteria and often can be anaerobics. Uh, the actinobacteria are things like uh, carinibacteria, which also colonize the skin and the oral cavity, for example. And the proteobacteria include um, helicobacter, which you can see here, um, which is present in the stomach if the person has, um, for example, ulcers or, or even stomach cancers. 
So each individual microbiome carries out similar functions. However, it is not necessarily carried out by the same microbial species within each of these individual microbiomes. And species carrying these functions may change in over time. The microbiomes of some body sites are similar in everyone. So for example, a, a patient's skin microbiome is more similar to another person's skin microbiome than it is to their own gut microbiome. However, there are individual to individual differences. Originally, uh, or some of the studies had reported that the ratio of human cells to microbes in the human body was about one to 10, but this has been revised more recently. So there's about, it's believed, one human micro, uh, cell to um, one microbial cell overall in the body. This study looked at the microbiome over time. So it looked at changes from um, unborn babies all the way to um, adults, um, even as old as uh, over 100 years. What they found was that there were changes between birth and three, two to three years, but then they tended to start to resemble adults um, at two to three years. And, and they did, there was changes over time that would possibly be the result of changes to diet um, in, um, evidence of antibiotic therapy producing changes and perhaps even movements into new environments. So for example, breastfed children had a slightly different microbiome than formula-fed children. And then when children start to eat solid food, that changes the gut microbiome, as you would expect yet again. There are differences in toddlers between whether they were antibiotic treated or malnourished compared to being healthy. Uh, and there were changes as well, whether you were healthy or obese. And then, as I said, as we old, we tend, as we age, to get a, a more restricted microbiome. So infants are sterile in birth. They receive their first inoculum from the mother during childbirth. Um, and that goes on to colonize the newborn. And, and indeed, um, vaginal delivery is associated with a more rich microbiome than something like uh, a cesarean section delivery. As I said, additional inoculum from breast milk occurs. Um, and the microbial communities tend to uh, stabilize in composition at around about three years. Over the last few years, there's been a huge growth in the studies on looking at the gut microbiome and its association with diseases. It's been associated or changes to the gut microbiome associated with di uh, diabetes, obesity, liver diseases, cancer, and even certain neurogenitive diseases. But whether these are causative or correlative or the changes occur because of some of the therapies that might be orally given um, for these is still not yet known for most of them. There is a clear benefit of the gut microbiome, and this is the case for uh, faecal matter or faecal microbiota transplantation and C. difficile infection. So giving um, faecal matter transplants has been shown to be more effective at treating this disease than the antibiotic treatment with um, vancomycin. And because of this, it's um, very good effects. It's now being trialed or used in the treatment of other diseases, for example, irritable bowel syndrome, Parkinson's disease, and multiple sclerosis. The underlying mechanism of this, however, is not yet known. It's been hypothesized that it might be displacement of the C. difficile 
by the normal micro microbiota that's in, contained in the fetal matter. Or indeed, um, some studies have shown that if you remove the bacterial uh, cells, um, you can still get the effects. And so that might be associated with bacteriophages present, uh, produced by the normal microbiota that kills the C. difficile. Or indeed, it might be the fact that um, the human gut produces or the human gut microbiota produces short chain fatty acids um, and also can affect bile metabolism, which also may uh, be involved in the uh, sort of neutralization, if you like, of C. difficile. So moving on now, just briefly to talk about methods that are used to determine the microbiomes of particular environments. The most widely used microbiome analysis is that of 16S rRNA or rDNA sequencing. The 16S rRNA gene is highly conserved in all bacteria um, and sequencing of its regions of hypervariability allows us to classify bacteria. But we can only do this for bacteria. And if we want to look at something else, for example, fungi, um, we, might, we need to use a slightly different method or a slightly different um, uh, way of looking at fungi. So another method that's gaining traction these days is whole genome sequencing to look at the entire genetic com uh, genomic content of the microbiota in a, in a relatively unbiased manner. So it doesn't involve RNS, RNA or the ITS um, sequencing. It just looks at whatever DNA is there, um, tries to um, amplify that up and then analyze that DNA. These are some of the things we should think about when we're designing experiments for um, uh, doing uh, analysis of microbiomes in various uh, environments or places. Um, or clearly, we need a good study design. Um, how do we uh, handle the samples? So how do we sample? Uh, often swabs are used. What type of swab? Um, how big a size of the area do we sample? How do we remove the genetic material from the swab? We've got to be mindful that most things are contaminated to some degree by genetic material. So we need to have good controls for those. Um, we've got to also be mindful that not all extraction protocols will, will um, burst open all different types of microbes. And so we might need to play around to find an optimum extraction method. And of course, ultimately, cost is also a consideration here. Now, what the type of sequencing that you do uh, might depend on the budget that you have. And then when we move into the computation of the, analy the analysis of the uh, sequences, um, again, contaminating sequences, how do we remove them? How do we account for sequencing errors uh, and, and various other things? What databases do we use, etc.? So we need to think about all these things when we're designing experiments because they will all have an effect on the um, eventual outcome. So now I want to move on to describe some um, recent studies looking at the uh, microbiome of various surfaces that are in hospitals. And, and this particular study was to, from 2019. Um, from Brazil, they looked at around about 160 samples from various uh, surfaces and, and common areas, and they used 16S rRNA of, of the V4 region amplification for this. They found that most surfaces were um, contaminated by or, or contained firmicutes and proteobacteria. Uh, they made up the majority, but there was also acinetobacteria, bacteroidetes, fusobacteria, and as you can see, others um, that were present as well. For the genera, they found that in um, adult ICUs, 
The most common were Bacillus, Staphylococcus and Pseudomonas, but in neonatal ICUs that was slightly different and the most common in this order were Bacillus, Propionibacterium and Staphylococcus. So with microbiome analysis, we can look at things like uh, Shannon diversity or alpha diversity, as it's called, which is the diversity of uh, species or operational taxonomic units, basically species within different samples, uh, and also beta diversity, the similarities um, between populations between samples, for example. Um, and so this study showed that the, uh, there was a, a greater uh, richness in the diversity of species in a greater diversity of species in the neonatal ICUs compared to the adult ICUs. And the populations differed quite, um, some, some time overlapped, some of them overlapped, but differed quite substantially to the extent that you could, you could tell where, what sample was um, taken from which ICU. This is this data in a little bit more detail, um, and it shows from a, a, a species point of view what is different between in red uh, adult ICUs and, and in this sort of teal colour um, the neonatal ICUs uh, and, and you can see the, the the data graphed as well on the right hand side so for example as, again Pseudomonas much more common in adult ICUs uh, Streptococcus for example and Delphitia more common in neonatal ICUs. They also looked at the effect of cleaning and they used a very um, a simple standardized cleaning procedure where the people who were cleaning washed their hands, donned non-sterile gloves and then used a 1% uh, PHMB solution and a soft wipe to wipe the various surfaces that they sampled. And they found that that did reduce the uh, diversity. This is the Shannon index again, the diversity of uh, types of bacteria that were present on the surfaces, but wasn't a potentially not as perhaps a, a bigger difference as we might expect. Um, but what they did find was uh, Crisiobacterium and uh, a Clostridia type were removed completely by this um, washing or disinfection. Commomonas, Pseudomonas and other bacteria, mostly the gram-negatives were reduced, um, but other bacteria increased slightly, including gram-positive bacteria such as Streptococcus. So they concluded that in ICUs, in neonatal ICUs, there was a higher biodiversity than adult ICUs, and there were various biomarkers. Pseudomonas was a biomarker for adult ICUs, serratia and clostridium for um, neonatal ICUs. All of the bacteria they found, they considered survival specialists um, because, for example, they could produce spores in the, in the, uh, for things like clostridium and bacillus, um, and they could also produce and survive in bi dry biofilms. Um, as you would have heard from uh, 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 earlier on in this uh, seminar series. The vectors that were most likely um, um, the cause of these surface um, uh, fomite uh, microbiomes were probably the staff and patients, but they weren't exactly the same as the skin or gut microbiomes, for example, of these, but they probably did originate from there and then there was some selection pressure. Interestingly, they found that mobile phones, computers and medical charts were enriched with hospital-acquired infection-related genera, for example, a vector. They found the cleaning reduced uh, diversity, as I said, but only slightly. But these types of studies may be a way to help optimise cleaning protocols to get a, a better handle on, on um, the ability to disinfect and 
various surfaces in hospitals. Another study also from Brazil, in this case published in 2020, looked at the presence of antimicrobial resistance genes in ICUs. So this study, um, um, again, uh, in, this, in this case looked at uh, nasal and rectal swabs, medical and hospital equipment and furniture, etc. Uh, they did a whole uh, sequence, uh, microbiome sequencing using the V3, V4, 16S RNA, and they used real-time PCR for resistance genes. So just looking at the resistance genes in this study, they found um, that there was about 14% of the environmental samples had contained antibiotic resistance genes and 36% of patient samples in the adult ICUs and around about the same 13% of environmental samples and 30% of patient samples in the neonatal ICUs. This data shows the um, the presence of the, the those genes for the for various in fact for two here um, antibiotic resistance genes over the year period the 12 month period um, and you can this is the hospital environment in the uh, more blue color and in the green or teal color the patients and you can see they track almost identically in both adult ICUs and in neonatal ICUs in this case for the gene encoding methicillin resistance in Staphylococcus aureus um, and another gene in, that's often found in gram-negative bacteria encoding an extended beta-lactamase um, again tracks very very closely between the, the environment and the patient so possibly indicating that it is the patient that is in, uh, can sort of contaminating the environment although it could easily be the other way around and, and I think studies need to be done to, to find out what that is whether the patient um, comes in with these genes or acquires them from the environment when they're in the intensive care units. Just briefly looking at the air microbiome now, um, surprisingly little is known about the air microbiome in hospitals um, and almost nothing at all about the air microbiome in Australian hospitals or indeed Australian environments. And we know of course that the air is an important transmitter of microbial diseases, for example, the SARS-CoV-2 in the current pandemic. I just want to highlight a couple of studies here to show um, the effect of various things. Um, and we've heard a lot about ventilation. And we know that when we ventilate rooms, that changes the air microbiome. So, for example, if we have indoor mechanical ventilation, so in other words, air conditioning units with no um, uh, way to open windows, for example, like in hospital, uh, in rather in hotel environments, hotel rooms, we get a relatively uh, low, diverse population, low diverse microbiome. That increases if we do open, um, we ventilate with open uh, windows uh, and that becomes more similar to what the microbiome is like in the outdoor air. Um, and so that's interesting, I think, that, that the, the air microbiome significantly changes, as, as I guess we might expect when we ventilate mechanically. And this study also similarly looked at um, the indoor air, the duct air in the um, uh, in the air conditioning, the, the the dust that was collected in air conditioners on HEPA filters um, and floor dust. And you can see that, interestingly, the, the, the HEPA filter dust um, is very different. A microbiome is very different to what's in the air. And it, it may, in fact, selectively reduce or 
remove particular bugs better than others, it suggests, and that may be one of the reasons why we've got this low level of microbiome um, diversity in the mechanically uh, ventilated rooms. So to finish now, um, just some questions I think to pose um, uh, that for new for new research. I guess we still want to know: Does the environmental my, uh, microbiome cause disease? So there's been associations with environmental surface microbiome and things like hospital acquired infections. Um, and indeed, I think these are these are really great places to do some research because unlike changing the the human microbiome, we can change the environmental microbiome fairly easily with things like disinfecting systems and uh, ultraviolet light disinfecting systems, for example. And then we can see whether those changes that occur because of those disinfecting systems to the environmental microbiome might result in reductions in diseases. Thanks very much and happy to take questions.